had a just an exciting time getting here tonight. My, uh, I'm having a little back issue at the moment, so it's hard to get out of the chair to, to get up to leave. And right when we went to leave, it was raining sideways at our house. Uh, we don't have a garage, and uh, we're kind of moving some stuff around, and we have, didn't have one raincoat or umbrella in the house either, so I ran out under a sheet. Didn't work too good. If you see my notes up here, they're all like crinkled up from, from getting wet. And uh, so we started driving here, and uh, halfway down Collier Parkway, it did start to hail. The hailstones were as big as ice cubes. It was terrible sounding on the car. And I said, honey, I think we ought to go home. She said, you got to preach tonight. And you got to... <laughs> No, I didn't really say that, but I said, there's nothing we can do. I mean, there was no place to get off the road, no tree to get under, no, and so just keep going. And as we were going, I said, Lord, do you want me to change my message tonight? Maybe preach on hell or something like that. (laughs) But uh, uh, if you do have your Bibles, Matthew 22, just going to have a, uh, hopefully, a brief message for y'all, and then we get to our, the communion Matthew 22. A very familiar passage where uh, someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And so if you look at Matthew 22, uh, look at verse 36. It says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And that, that would be true for us. The most important thing we can do is love God. Because when you love God, you obey God. And, and everything flows from that. But then it's interesting, verse 39, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the second greatest thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and there's the famous question, somebody trying to justify themselves in the book of Luke said, who's my neighbor? And, and it gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. But really, your neighbor is not just your neighbor, somebody that lives next door. It's, it's people. Uh, you, you, it, your, it could be your neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be your boss. It could be if you play on a team, your teammate. It could be a famous person. It could be an unknown person. It could be a homeless person. It's just people. And we ought to love others like we love ourselves. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. If you'll turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, and uh, there's a story of a guy named Naaman. How many have heard that name? I've heard that name, Naaman. He was an important person in Syria. He was captain of the host. And we're going to see in the time we have, which is very brief, 12 lessons we can learn from this story about our neighbor and who, uh, what we ought to do about loving our neighbor as ourselves. So let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time uh, tonight. So if you bow with me. Father, we do thank you for your word and how clear it is. Uh, help us uh, just get a grasp on some of these basic principles. Many we've heard before. 
But Father, how important they are. And help us learn from this story of Naaman tonight. Help me have the words that are needed in each heart tonight. Father, that your word would meet needs tonight. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Twelve lessons. I, I don't know if you're taking notes. I, I, uh, I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to go fast. If you want to know afterwards, if you miss one, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Here's lesson number one. Lesson number one is this. Even good men must be saved. Look at verse one. Chapter five of Second Kings, verse one. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Even good men must be saved. You know, this guy, was. A, it says he was a great man with his master. He was probably very honest and loyal and faithful and dependable. I guess the way to describe it is honorable. I think we need more honorable people in our country today. Uh, that is something that's lost on people. Uh, I noticed that at being uh, t- uh, doing a little teaching here at our Christian school uh, uh, to, to get the principle down to young people that you need to treat the elderly and your teachers and your coaches with respect and honor. And, and it's something that's lost. This guy, he was very honorable. But you know what? Being good and honorable won't get you to heaven, will it? And the people we come in contact with, people are very confused about it. I know I had a a boss one time, I was talking to him, and there was a, a tragic airline crash in a river, and uh, there was a guy that would go to, get in the plane and get people out and get them up on the, on the airplane so they could be rescued. Water was just like icy cold. And it, after he, he saved a few people, and then he drowned it because, you know, you'll, the cold water will do that to you. And my boss said, well, man, surely he's in heaven. He got the idea because this guy had done something honorable and great that had earned him salvation, and it, it does not. And so our neighbors, no matter how good they are and how good they seem, they need to be saved. All of us need to be saved, and hopefully you are, that you've trusted Christ. But even a good man must be saved, which leads us to lesson number two. Successful people still have a need. If you again look at verse 1, it talks about him being honorable and a great man. And then at the end it said, but he was a leper. He had a, he had a great need in his life, didn't he? Of course, he needed to be healed from leprosy. But people we know and run into, even if they're very successful, they still have a need. Is your neighbor successful? You know, a lot of times it's hard to talk to successful people because they don't think they do have a need. They got what they need. We find that every year at Vacation Bible School. In many years, we would go out in neighborhoods and, and try to knock on doors and stuff. And, and you go to the more affluent areas or neighborhoods, and, and people are, uh, well, I don't need that because I, I have what I need. You go to the poorer areas where they, 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 have, they have lots of needs. And they're a lot more open-minded to letting you, you know, to send in their kids. Maybe this will help them. But no matter how successful, uh, Naaman was a mighty man in valor. He was trusted by the king. He was decorated by the king. But he still had a need. And can I say this? Unsuccessful people still have the same need too, don't they? They need the gospel. And so we can learn a lesson from this story. Yes, he, he was a great man, and he's a good man, but he still needed to be saved because he had a huge need. 
And his need, of course, was to be healed from leprosy. But what about your neighbor? What about your coworker? They, they have a need, and it's Christ. What about your teammate? What about some person, you know, it's unknown. You don't know anything about them. They all have the same need, which is Christ. Which leads us to lesson number three. People need the gospel despite how they treat us. Let me repeat that. People need the gospel. They have that need despite how they treat us. Uh, if you look in this story, and look in verse 2, 2 Kings 5, verse 2, it says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, would with that prophet that is in Syria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This little girl had every reason not to like Naaman, even if he treated her nice. They took her away from her home. And they took her captive and basically made him a servant in the house. And she had every reason to to keep her mouth shut. But she saw a need. Hey, my my master has a need. And I I know how to meet that need. And she responded to it. You know, the Bible says, Yea, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. If you try to share the gospel, there are going to be people that don't treat you nice. I don't, I don't, is that a surprise to some of you? It's not a surprise. Some people won't treat you nice, but they still had a need. She could have kept her mouth shut. She could have said something mean. Huh, you got what you deserve, you know, kind of mumble under her breath. But she saw she had a need. You know, just our country, our world that we live in today, to be a Christian, to, to say something about Christ, uh, people are, can be very nasty, unpleasant, uh, very insulting, but you know what? They still need Christ. And, and, and despite how people treat us, we still need to, to get that message out because they have a need. doesn't matter how good they are. They have that need of Christ, and we need to share it with them. Which leads us to lesson number four. We might be unimportant, but the message is important. Again, if you look in verse 3, uh, she says uh, to her mistress, the person that she was, in a sense, a servant to, a slave to, and talks to them about how if he was uh, where Elisha was, he would recover him of his leprosy. Um, she was just a little maid. Uh, by the way, I don't think she went to Bible college. I don't think she took a correspondence course, probably no training, no position, but she had a message. And folks, we have a message that is that works, and it's called the gospel. Do you all understand that? The gospel works. And it's a, a message that has great power to it. God's entrusted us with the most important message in the world. You know, we mentioned successful people here. I hope you are very successful in what you do, and I hope you honor God in whatever you're doing. And that's nothing wrong with being successful. But don't, no matter how successful you are, or how unimportant you are, you have the most important job in the world that's getting out the gospel message. That's what's truly important. And uh, she was very unimportant, very poly, just an afterthought. But she said, I have a message to share. And that message for us, that the gospel is the most important message in the world. Um, which leads us to lesson number five. People are confused about what will save 
their souls. Look in verse 5. So he hears this good news, and Naaman uh, says, I'm going to head out uh, to the land of Israel. And it says in verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. So they were very confused. They thought, if we just give him money, he'll be healed. Now, you understand leprosy was a death sentence back then. You know, there was the, no, they had no hope. And they said, well, hey, this guy can heal. Let's make sure we're going to pay him. So he will heal us. And people are very confused about what will save their souls. He tried buying his healing with money. And people try to, to buy uh, the answer to their soul's longings through a lot of different things. Maybe money could be uh, being charitable. It could be uh, uh, doing, you know, leaving a, a, a big pile of money to a school or whatever they think that, that that will, you know, that'll square things with God and I can go to heaven. And so people are very confused about what will save their souls. You know, Second Corinthians says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the lost. And how does Satan blind the minds of the lost? Well, he usually does it with a message of good works. Or he'll do it a message of grace plus good works and half-truths. And so he has people blinded. And people are very confused about what will uh, save their souls. And i got to go to church. Thinking going to church will save their souls. Hey, by the way, it's good to go to church, isn't it? Isn't that a good thing? How about giving money to to church? Is that a good thing? Oh, yeah. How about getting baptized? Is that a good thing? All those are good things, but they won't save your soul. But people are so confused by it because what do they hear in the world? If you want something good, you gotta you gotta strive for it, you gotta work for it, you gotta try to earn it. That's the way that's how it works. Now, salvation is a gift. And you cannot do anything to earn or merit, but people are very confused. Here, for Naaman and, and the king, they thought, well, we can buy his healing with money. And they were confused, which leads us to lesson number six. Now, this is the most important one. I don't want you to miss this. If you write anything down tonight, I want you to write something down. I'm going to tell you in just a moment. Lesson number six is the unsaved world does not have the answer. Look in verse seven. Second uh, Kings 5, verse 7, it says, It came to pass when the king of Israel read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Uh, wherefore, consider, I pray you, that how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So here's the king in Israel said, I, I, I don't have the answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, he didn't realize... In, in Naaman's case, just send him to Elisha. But he had no idea. He had no idea what would uh, be the answer. Here's what I want you to write down. Jesus is the answer to any question about this life and afterlife. Let me repeat that again. Jesus is the answer to any question about this life and afterlife. You know, in the world looking for answers... What are we going to do about all this wild stuff going on in our country? Uh, uh, you know, transgender stuff and uh, LGBTQ, FYZ. I, I, I can't even keep up with all the letters. And, and they, they, you know, people, what are we going to do about this? You know what the answer is to all that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. 
Now, that doesn't mean you try to work and have answers and uh, answers from Scripture and, and be involved and, and try, uh, try to you know, be involved in getting decisions made as far as voting and all that kind of stuff. But that's not going to be the ultimate. That's not what's needed. They need Jesus. Nobody's going to rightly think apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. How do you get the indwelling Holy Spirit? You've got to be saved. You get it the moment you're saved. How you save? Uh, because salvation is not in the church, it's in a person. His name is Jesus. He is the answer to any question about what we have in this life. Some say denomination is the answer. You've got to go to the right denomination. I went to the post office the other day. I said, I want some stamps. And they said, what denomination? And I said, I never thought it would come to this, but I'm Baptist. <laughs> and I... Uh, they think a denomination is. They think money's the answer. They think philosophy is the answer. Here's my favorite. They think science is the answer. Science has the I'm all, all, all for science. Nothing wrong with science. But you know what? Science changes all the time. You know what doesn't change? Jesus doesn't change. Amen. And his word doesn't change. It has the answers for life. And uh, if science is at odds with the Bible, I, I think I'll just trust the Bible. Because the Bible hasn't changed. It's eternal. And uh, it has the answers for life. Some people say, well, I, I still, I know people have needs. And, and I know the gospel is the answer. And, and, and the power is in the message. But uh, I, I'm kind of nervous about this, getting out the gospel stuff. Well, the issue is not how wonderful you are. Or how wonderful First Baptist Church of Land Lakes is. What you need to tell people is how wonderful Jesus is. And that's, that'll be a, a huge help uh, in, in your witnessing. Let's look at lesson number seven. We must move on. Lesson number seven is this. We can have confidence because of the message. Look at verse eight. This guy shows up at Elisha's door, and it says in, in verse eight, And so when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Look at verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Very confident. You didn't, you didn't say, Well, you know, let's go and talk about this. We got to pray about this a while. He said, I, I have the answer. Of course, the answer and, and, and that people need in our time is, of course, Jesus. And, you know, Elisha's message worked, by the way, if you know the story. And we're going to look at a few more verses here. It, it worked. The gospel works. The gospel works. It's a powerful message. Remember, the power is in the message, not the messenger. You understand that? A lot of people, I don't, I don't know what to say. If you can say John 3.16, you can ha have a powerful witness because the message is powerful. It really is. I, I, uh, it, it, it's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation. The word power there is the Greek word dudamos, which is the word we get dynamite from. The gospel has dynamite power, and we can be very confident that if we share it, it will work. Lesson number eight. Lesson number eight. We must share the message. And that's what Elisha did in verse 10. He said, this is what you got to do. Go dip down into the, to the river, Jordan River, and you, you, you'll be healed of leprosy. We must share the message. Doesn't Romans 10 say, how, you know, 
how can they hear without a preacher? They, they, they got to hear the message. And so we must share it. And, I, and, you know, when it comes to witnessing, that's the scariest part. But let me, let me tell you several ways that you can get out the message of the gospel. Here's number one. Tell them yourself. Okay, I, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm just, you can tell them yourself. You say, well, I don't know what to tell them. Start off with John 3.16. I, I don't understand everything, but I know that God loved me, and he sent Jesus, and he died for my sins, and I believed in him. He gave me everlasting life. If you believe in him, you can have everlasting life. Share it yourself. Maybe give out some tracts. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you don't have time to talk to people. You're at the store, hand them a tract. Um, work in, be involved in the ministry. You know, there's a lot of work that's going to be here at Vacation Bible School uh, a week from tomorrow. And uh, there's a, a great opportunity to make things great and fun for the kids and safe for the kids so they can hear the gospel. You can have a part in getting out the gospel. Have a good testimony. Have a good testimony. If you know Christ, if you're in the workplace, and um, you might have a mean boss, you might have uh, really bad co-workers, uh, just keep doing the best job you can and have a good testimony. Because if you have a poor testimony, it just gives people a reason to Make excuses. Well, why would I want to be a Christian? They, they act just like everybody else. You can have a good testimony. When you come to church, by the way, coming to church is a good thing. It makes it very exciting. When there are people here at church and a, a lost person comes in, hey, this is exciting. And when you're here at church, watch and listen. You know, pastor will give the gospel. Maybe he does the hand gesture. You've seen it a million times. How many have seen the hand gesture at least a million times? Okay. Some of you... <laughs> Now, come on now, half a million, but you've seen a lot. You ought to look at it like it's the most important thing, and the guy goes, well, that must be important. Look how they're just glued in on it. Watch and pay attention. Sing. Sing. I can tell you um, from being up, uh, we're doing different now. We used to sit here as up on the platform when you're, you know, you were preaching or you're doing stuff. Now we sit down here and come up. There's nothing right or wrong about either. But I can tell you, when I was up here, especially the times I might be preaching and the church people are really singing, that stirs my soul. It'll stir people's soul that come into the church. You say, well, all they do is sing hymns. If you really sing hymns out and those that can sing parts, sing the parts to them, it's unbelievable how powerful that is. Amen. It's very powerful. And it can have a part in getting someone's attention, getting their heart under conviction, and, and listening to the gospel and being saved. So you've got to share the message. Lesson number nine. Some will reject the message now. In verse 11, when Naaman heard that he had to dip in the Jordan River, he was wroth, it says in verse 11, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leprosy. And then he starts complaining about the Jordan River, how dirty it was. We got some better rivers back in Syria. Why, why can't I go wash in those? You know, when we go out and share the gospel, again, this is not news to y'all that share the gospel, but some will believe and some will not. Some will believe and just it'd be a wonderful thing. Some will not believe, but be nice. There are some who won't believe and it'll be mean. 
That's not our job. We don't win them. The, the gospel message wins them. All we can do is share it. So don't be surprised if some reject the message now. Some, which is lesson number 10, will believe the message later. In verse 14, after a servant gets name and calmed down, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He, he, later, he believed. I always, I, this story always fascinates me. It's a true story. There used to be a ministry in Tampa called Tampa Youth Ranch, and uh, it was a ministry for teenagers, and there was a teenager there that come for the first time. He was lost, and uh, after the, the meeting, they, they usually play games and do stuff, and another young man was trying to talk to him about being saved, and he said, I, I don't believe there's really a God or anything, and uh, I, I, please don't do this. I don't advise you to do this. But this kid said, well, what, what, are we, what can we do to get you to believe there's a God? I don't know. It had to be really something. And he said, well, why don't we pray and ask God to, to show you that he is real and that Jesus is the Savior, that sometime this week you would break your leg. <laughs> and the kid said, ah, that could just happen by accident. He says, no. Let's pray and, 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 and to show you that God's real and that Jesus is the Savior, that break your leg exactly two inches below your knee so you know there's God's real. So they, they said, the guy said, okay. So the guy prayed, please, you know, show him that you're real and that he needs to believe in Jesus and to show that, please break his knee, I mean, his leg two inches below his knee. So he did that and the guy left. Next week, the next week, the meeting was again, and here comes this guy. He's just walking. And so the guy that was witnessing to him was a little nervous. What happened? He said, well, I was walking home thinking about what you said, and I stumbled in a hole and got scared, and I dropped down my knees and trusted Jesus as my Savior. (laughs) Uh, I don't exactly tell you to do that that way, but it was later. The guy was witnessing to him now. But it was later. We've had people in this church. Pastor gives the gospel so clear. I don't want to say the name, but there was a lady in church. She'd been here for years and heard Pastor give the gospel. And then we had an evangelist visit who gave the gospel the exact same way, in a very clear fashion, and she trusted Christ just because she heard it from a different voice. So don't get discouraged. Some will believe later. God will use the message to convict. And God may use several people. In, in verse 13, uh, first he heard it from the little maid. Then he heard it from his servant there in verse 13. His servants came near and told him, hey, listen, he could have told you to do a lot of things. That's not that hard to do what he's talking about. And he heard what Elisha had said to him. And it, took, it was several people. We'll see that in VBS. Kids will come and they'll hear the gospel in the opening assembly. Then they'll hear the gospel in their class. And then they'll hear, uh, they, 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 they're in there, and they'll send them to one-on-one witness, and they'll hear the gospel in there, and, and, and it'll click, and they'll be saved. So uh, sometimes it takes several people, but some will believe the message later. Don't be discouraged. Which leads us to, we're almost done, lesson number 11. The message of the gospel will change lives. Look at verse 15. 2 Kings 5, 15, it says, And he returned to the man of God 
he and all his company and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. He said, hey, there's only one God, and it's Elisha's God. And it changed his life. You know, the gospel will change people's lives. Do you want a better boss? Share the gospel with him. Now, he might tell you to stop, but don't stop praying for him. Don't stop being a good testimony. You want a better neighbor? You want a better community? You want a better country? What's going to change the country and and, uh, your community and your neighbor and your co-worker and your boss is getting saved. And to get saved, they have to hear the gospel. And so the message will change life. And lesson number 12, uh, because we need to move on here, is simply this. uh, Share the gospel for the right reason. There was a a guy, we don't have time to read this story, but his name was Gehazi, and Gehazi was... uh, you know, Naaman tried to give Elisha all this stuff, and Elisha said, no, just go, just go. It's okay, go. And so Gehazi, after he left for a little while, he, he snuck out because he wanted the stuff. And so he went and said, hey, wait a minute, now Elisha changed his mind. You know, give us, give us some of that stuff. And he came back with it. I don't think he said, hey, look, Elisha. He probably was very secretive, but, you know, Elisha knew exactly what he had done. And if you read in the story, uh, Elisha tells him in verse 27 of chapter 5, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leopard as white as snow. You know, Gehazi wanted money. He wanted to, to, you know, hey, we did right for the money. And don't ever do something like that. Do it because it is right to do. Do it because God's commanded us and and entrusted us with uh, the gospel. You see, there is... A need. No matter how good a person is, he has a need. Doesn't matter how accomplished a person is, they have a need. And that need can only be met by Jesus Christ. And our country has a need. Our, our community has a need. Your boss has a need. Your neighbor has a need. And it's the gospel. And that's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We, we reflect on the gospel message, how Jesus died for us, how his body was broken for us, how his blood was shed for us. And we remember that. And that ought to be a motivating thing to get out the message. Because why? Because people need it. And the only answer for any issue in life, the only answer for for any problem in the world is Jesus Christ. And uh, so I encourage you to, to share that with your neighbor. If you do have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Ask the men that are going to help with this come forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. By the way, why did, why did that start? Because Jesus instituted it. When he had that last day, the Passover meal, and... Uh, And we'll see in 1 Corinthians 11, if you're there, it says in verse 23, For I have received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And so the Lord Jesus instituted, there was no Lord's Supper before this time. And of course now it's one of the, we call it one of the ordinances of the church. We have the Lord's Supper, 
And what is the other one? Baptism. Baptism, uh, water baptism. And uh, so Jesus instituted. And the purpose, if you read in verse 24, if you look at the end of the verse, it says, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25 in the end, in remembrance of me. So it's a time for us to reflect on what Christ has done for us. uh, How he loved us despite the fact that we're, we're sinners. You know, we mentioned in a sermon that sometimes people are very uh, successful, but they're still sinners. Everyone's a sinner. And so we had a great need, and despite our sin, despite how we turn our back on God frequently, he came to die for us. And uh, one of the important elements of the Lord's Supper uh, is verse 28. If you look down there in verse 28, it says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Uh, it, it goes on to say in verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Damnation there just means judgment. It's not talking about going to hell. The Corinthians were ha- having some issues around the Lord's Supper. We won't go into what they were, but some of them were taking the Lord's Supper with sin in their life. And God was judging them. Again, That for believers, that judgment is never loss of salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. But it says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. For when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And it says, Wherefore, my brethren. So he's talking to believers. Believers were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. So what we, we do before we go into the Lord's Supper tonight, we'll give just a moment. We're going to have our piano player play through uh, a verse of a hymn. We're going to have our heads bowed and eyes closed. And make sure your life is right before the Lord. Let me say something before you do that. The Lord's Supper is for believers. Don't have to be a member of our church. But to take the Lord's Supper, you need to be a believer. Uh, so if you're hearing you're not a believer... I encourage you to put your trust in Christ. When, I, when we have an opportunity to pray, say, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I know I'm a sinner. Uh, but I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins, and I'm trusting him as my only way to heaven. I'm trusting him as my Savior. And you get that settled before you would take the Lord's Supper. For those that do know Christ, it's a time of prayer. Just, uh, Lord, if there's something in my life that's not right, it's not pleasing to you, please show that to me. And if he shows it to you, make it right with him. Maybe there's something you know is not right in your life. So before you take the Lord's Supper, make that right with the Lord. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to ask Sharon to play through a a verse of a hymn, and when she gets done, I'll close in prayer. thank you for your great love for us and what you went through and endured for us 
that you might purchase our forgiveness with your blood on the cross. And we thank you that you did that in our place. And you uh, endured the mockings and, and uh, the jeers and the physical abuse that, uh, for us. And Father, we thank you for that great love. Uh, thank you that you uh, rose from the dead to prove that you were exactly who you claimed to be and that God was satisfied with the payment you made for our sins. So, Father, we just pray the rest of the time now that you help us uh, just be mindful to what you've done. And, Father, help that uh, just motivate our hearts to do what we ought to do for you. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, in front of you, like in the little seat in front of you, you'll see a little communion packet. And uh, turn that where the juice is headed down and take the paper off the top. And there's a little wafer in there and get that out. This little wafer uh, is a symbol, a symbol of Christ's body. It is not Christ's body. It doesn't become Christ's body. It's just a, it's this little wafer. Um, but it's symbolic of his body and what he went through for us. Uh, I don't think uh, there's a more painful physical uh, death than the death of crucifixion. Uh, very painful. Uh, you know, besides... Uh, Everything else that was done to Christ, just to hang there on the cross, it could be excruciating for days and days. Essentially, what happened is the way they would hang them there, you'd have to push up, be able to take a breath. And, of course, you get weaker and weaker being there, and you would slump back down, and you couldn't breathe good. And eventually, people would just suffocate, uh, besides all the other pain that you went through. That's why... They didn't want Jesus to be up there on a holy day, so they were going to come by and break his legs. Why would they try to break his legs? Well, so he couldn't push up, and he would die sooner. Um, very, very terrible way to die. But what Christ went through before that is, is unbelievable, how he was scourged right up to the point of death by just being scourged with a cat of nine tails, how he was slapped and spit on. Uh, and, and probably punched with fists and, and thorns stuck in his brow. He did all that for us. And so by eating this wafer, what we're doing is we're remembering, we're remembering all, what he went through for us, what his body physically went through for us. Uh, if you look in the Bible and uh, look at verse 23 again, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this time of uh, remembrance that we have. And as we reflect on uh, what you are willing to do for us to pay the penalty for our sins, uh, a price that we could not pay. Uh, and God, you sent your only son uh, to have his body broken for us. And we can't even imagine uh, the kind of love uh, that that takes, but we thank you so much for it. And I ask that uh, we'll, we'll think about this uh, throughout our week and that we will not take uh, what you did for us uh, for granted. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, if you want to flip your thing over and pull the top off that juice part, be careful with that. Of course, this is juice, grape juice, and it represents or symbolic of Jesus' blood, which he shed for us. And uh, certainly there's no more key element in our salvation in that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, the Bible says. And the, the word remission means forgiveness. You know, uh, what do we have to do to get forgiveness? Well, again, some people, as we mentioned in the sermon, think they can buy forgiveness or they can uh, work for forgiveness. And uh, forgiveness in the Bible never comes without the shedding of blood. And the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, shed his blood for us. He shed his blood for us. And, uh, and we ought to be so thankful for that. Never apologize or think that, this is gruesome or gory. I'm, I'm thankful that he shed his blood for me. And we ought to all be thankful for that. So it says in the Bible, if you look in verse 25, it says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time tonight where we can spend time as a church remembering the sacrifice you made for us. Thank you for the shedding of your blood and your precious blood. And thank you for what this signifies. As the song we sang said tonight, um, breaking Satan's power, setting captives free. Greatest gift of the greatest love, heaven paid the price with Calvary's blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And Lord, I pray we, we remember this sacrifice. As we go through this week, we pray that it motivates us to be better witnesses in our lives. And I, I pray that it also, that we would take up our cross and, and, be, a, and, um, and be a living sacrifice. In your name we pray, amen.